Hello and welcome to today's Horton Hangout. I'm Laura Horton. And I'm Michael Bentley. Uh, good morning on this beautiful, another beautiful sunny day here in the United Kingdom. It is most definitely. I'd like to say thank you for your questions that you have submitted to us. Uh, we've got some uh, different uh, types of questions that have come through which are great. So we're going to get started. Uh, the first one that I've got here is uh, a favourite of mine, I have to say, and I know Michael and I spend a lot of time discussing this with practices, and it's actually an area that we're very passionate about, and that is the role of the dental therapist, uh, because it really is a fantastic role. So someone sent a question in, which is, how do you get your patient to see a therapist for their treatment, especially when they've joined the practice just to see you as the dentist? Well, I'll start by talking about new patients, and then Michael can discuss with you uh, existing patients. <laughs> really, I'd like to say that with new patients, fantastic, it's never been easier. And many practices that are using therapists will be able to tell you that actually they've had a wonderful experience with new patients. Because it's all about the way that you communicate as a dentist. What I will say is, you as a dentist have to be so clear about why you're using a therapist and what their role is and the benefits to the patient. And the other thing is, their fees have to be the same. So you don't say, well, you see them because they're cheaper, because that really is quite a frightening thing for patients. So the fees have to be the same. But really, it just allows you as a dentist to say that, you know, this person, their passion is fillings, they do all the fillings for me, I am still responsible for your care and we have discussed also doing a crown today. If you go ahead with that, I'll be providing that treatment for you and I will still be seeing you for your routine assessments that you need every six, nine or 12 months. So with new patients, um, you really have got a golden opportunity. We tend to work with practices that have got a huge patient base that really have looked at their figures. Um, they see the dentists are spending a lot of time uh, doing fillings. The dentists aren't necessarily passionate about that either. Uh, and they want to prescribe that work out. And we spend a lot of time with practices. And Michael himself has worked uh, in practice alongside therapists using that model. So I'll hand that over to Michael now. Yes, I mean, I think one of the most important things about working with a therapist is, first of all, like the training behind it as well. You've got to make sure that you're confident that the therapist is using the same materials that you would use as a dentist and that you feel very confident they're going to deliver uh, the clinical experience that you want to. Laura, you're going to have to take over for two seconds. I need to quiet my dog. <laughs> Oh, fun and games of being live. Um, yeah, so it is very important that the therapists aren't necessarily just thrown in to your practice and just chucked, you know, have patients thrown in at them. When you are when you own a practice, you should be very passionate about the materials that you use, the training that you've been on, and therapists need to follow in that path as well. So you need to be confident to be able to say to patients that we have branded experiences behind everything that we are offering. So they use the same materials, they use the same techniques, I have trained them on those techniques. And I think another thing to always implement is clinical peer review. 
So you can confidently say to patients, you know, once a month, every other month, every three months, we actually have a clinical peer review where we can work together with the hygienist, review, uh, with the therapist, reviewing cases and uh, taking things forward. So really we want the patients to have a lot of confidence in what you are offering and why you are sending that patient over. Was that helpful, Michael? I think so from what I've heard yeah I don't you know it's really important isn't it that relationship and one of the things that I stress um, when even recruiting a therapist is that part of it should be a trial day experience so what happens then is that the you know the therapist actually works alongside the dentist for one day which so you're not putting a therapist you know in a room on their own it's actually for the dentist and the therapist to work together so first of all the therapist can observe the dentist and make sure that therapist is confident they're going to get the prescriptions that they want so they feel confident to be able to, to do the treatment that's number one and then secondly the therapist can then do a filling alongside the dentist the dentist assists which is quite a strange experience however the dentist then gets to fully observe that therapist skill set and how they obviously approach uh, you know the cutting of the tooth etc etc um, again to give that dentist confidence that that therapist is able to do uh, the type of filling that they would like them to do and I think that's really important and I think once that relationship is confident then the dentist will feel able to um, talk about the therapist with confidence and with the ability of do you know what I know that that therapist that I've employed in the practice you know is going to be able to do what I want them to do and it isn't going to come back to me and be a problem and I think that's what dentists worry about the most is will it be a substandard experience for the patient will it be uh, a treatment that doesn't work um, you know as well will I get the patient back we'll have to start you know refunding or redoing treatment and so that 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 relationship is really really important um, so that so those are like recruitment rules uh, around that as well. The other thing that I've come across with dentists, um, with therapists, is that the dentists are very concerned about the patients having a lot longer in a chair for a filling. So they may do uh, a filling within 20 to 30 minutes. A therapist may do the filling exactly the same, but they'll take a little bit longer. So they might take 30 or 40 minutes. And um, I do feel that the dentists feel that actually that is a problem to a patient and what I have found is is actually the patients um, actually like the additional time um, because they actually uh, rate that as you know something that's actually nice to have a longer appointment so therapists can have the opportunity really to spend a little bit longer with a the patient they can do more patient experience work alongside doing the filling um, and it, that experience is normally a, a, a win-win for for both the patient and the therapist you know and for the, the dentist as well so I think you've confirmed how you do the uh, you know the conversation behind that is that right while yeah. I went to attend my dog situation <laughs> yeah so just to recap then you know you should, it's something that you should be really proud of but you need to get your house in order your systems in order so that everyone's working in confidence so that the patient they can trust in those systems uh, that you've put in place so hopefully that helps uh, with therapy uh, Michael do you want to read out a question yeah I've had a good question here and it's uh, should a practice manager have a personal relationship with other staff members uh, making um, staff members feel excluded by doing this. <laughs> this is, um, 
yeah, it's great. It's quite juicy. And uh, something I we do discuss on the first day of our management course on the leadership day. And um, it's quite difficult. And I know Michael and I have actually been in situations where we are in a management role and we do have a member of uh, the team that is also a personal friend. And you do have to be very careful here. And you need to be clear that when you're at work, you're at work. And you don't talk about your night out or a planned trip or whatever it might be. Um, you have to have barriers there when you've got a personal friend at work. Um, I also always used to, uh, perhaps, <laughs> and feedback was that perhaps I was a little bit tougher uh, on my personal friend at work. <laughs> Um, I'm laughing because uh, you know what I I'm, I was exactly the same. Yeah, um, because... you end up being harder with those people that you are closer to yeah. um, because you want to make sure that there is a, a management uh, route available to you. You know, if you need it. Yeah, definitely, and it's about respect from your other team as well. I think one of the things, just to sort of digress, very well, not slightly, but uh, just to discuss as well is. I was told as a manager that I couldn't be friends with my team, I couldn't be friendly with my team. And I always discuss this again on the management day because I think that's completely wrong. You no, need to have a relationship with your team. You need to be friendly. You need to have common interests. There needs to be things that you can discuss. But uh, that doesn't mean go out and get drunk as a skunk on a Friday night with them. But it is important that you have a relationship, you have common interests, there are things you can discuss. That's extremely important for leadership. However, um, you've got to, again, be very wary of what you're doing, is what I would say. I think the biggest mistake you can make as a manager is by not having a relationship with any of your team members and then being very clear to everyone else that you get on wonderfully with one person because your best friend's out of work. You've got to have an even fair relationship with everybody. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I totally agree with what you said there. And I think that's one of the things that uh, I always say to practice managers is actually it's the team members that you don't chat to a lot are the ones that you really need to chat to a lot more. Um, and that's why we often say to people, you know, you need uh, to be meeting up with team members every week for 15, 20 minutes with a couple of key questions to ask them. And the reason behind that is, is that people that you don't speak to very much, you're not going to build a relationship with those people. So actually, you need to build up um, some systems in practice that you do talk to every single team member as a practice manager week on, uh, every single week, where they get your attention, your quality time um, to build that relationship because you never know when you're going to need it that's the important thing you know some people can ride in a practice for years and years without any problems and then something happens you know in their life you know their health you know one of their you know key members of the family something like that and suddenly this staff member does need your support and you don't have a relationship to be able to support them with and therefore they start to not tell you things early um, and things grow into a problem much faster because you didn't have the relationship to, to then say you know is everything okay 
will you will you tell me what's going on? And somebody's actually, well, actually, I don't know you very well. So you're the last person I want to talk to uh, about this situation. The other key thing um, is definitely going to be confidentiality. And I think that's one of the hardest things about being a practice manager is, is that you know a lot of stuff. Um, and you have to keep a lot quiet and sometimes it's the news is going to be broken at some point but you almost have to wait it's a bit like a spoiler isn't it uh, in a tv show that's what I say you keep a lot of spoilers to yourself before they come out um, and you have to make sure that you definitely uh, are able to keep secrets and you demonstrate uh, that you can uh, do that I think that's really important but you do have to have a relationship and the other thing I want to say is um, make sure you have a relationship with all of the team members so you know not just the employed staff you do need uh, to be friends with the um, the associates and the self-employed people as well I think it's really important again I think the self-employed staff can be left um, for months on end without any communication from a manager uh, apart from hello goodbye everything all right with today and that's not really um, nurturing somebody I know that we are can't manage a self-employed member of the team the same way as employed member of staff but I still want you to have that connection uh, and with all of your staff uh, your staff members I think that's really important especially when I'm finding now that teams are they are growing aren't they Laura that's what I'm finding you know they're growing I mean the number of practices now that have got more than 10 staff is much higher than it was 10 years ago that's what I think I don't know what you what you think but that's yeah. what I'm seeing a lot of um and even teams that are growing above 20 members of staff as well you know again um, it's a lot of work isn't it so then you have to start splitting workloads don't you and that's where leader positions are really key uh, to keep moving forward that communication so that moves quite cleverly because those leaders become leaders and will have big friendships with those people so again they do need to acquire all the hints and tips that we've just given uh, about being a leader it's the same thing as a practice manager you have to be able to have that distance and treat everybody the same so if you find you're suddenly becoming a leader in practice and maybe you've been friends with the dental nurse team for for many many years that is going to change things quite a lot isn't it you know within within you know a day-by-day -day basis so again uh, what we've shared with you will work equally as well yeah I think um something people definitely ask uh, me for help with is um, I was the dental nurse, I was the receptionist, now I'm the practice manager, how on earth do I deal with this? Uh, and that's you know a great avenue that I really do like to help people with, definitely. I've got to move on to the next question now. Okay. Uh, this one was sent in through our Facebook page, so thank you very much for that. Um, my associate's appointment book is really quiet just now. We're in NHS practice and her chair time, uh, chair time occupancy was around 55% last week. Not good. Haven't spoken to her about it. She feels that she's lacking confidence with recommended treatments to patients, crowns, new dentures, etc. Obviously, uh, as a practice owner, I want the appointment book to be busier, but how do I address this? So, firstly, thank you for putting a lot of meat on the bones there, um, yeah. because it does help us to give you a bit more of a direct answer. I think what's great here is that you're looking at the figures, uh, you know the reality of the situation, and you've spoken to your associate dentist, and then what's even better is that they've been able to be really honest with you and say, I'm lacking confidence. So that 
actually ties in nicely with the previous question. So that shows that you're doing well as a leadership in a leadership position because they're able to be open and honest with you and essentially ask you for help. This is where you're now stuck because you're like, ah, how do I address this? Perhaps it's not something you've experienced personally. And actually, it's a very delicate situation, isn't it? You know, dentists, they're high career professionals. Um, we, we worry about upsetting them. If the dentists are happy, everybody's happy. That's the kind of mantra that goes around. Um, but I do think it's lovely that they've uh, come, for, come to you, been honest with you. I would go back to basics here, and it's not necessarily about whether they have the confidence or not to deal with these things. It's actually the fact that they have to. So if you look at your GDC contract, if you look at GDC standards for the dental team, it is very clear. I'd start with uh, standard two, standard three, uh, communication and consent, and sit down together and go through those and tick off what is happening and what isn't, and how actually this is detrimental to their career, their livelihood, the clothes on the back, their food they might provide their children, because it's actually very serious. So um, they can end up in a lot of hot water in the future for not treatment planning correctly. And yes, I appreciate confidence is one thing, but perhaps they need to really understand what it is that they've got to do, first of all. I think associates, well not associates, all dentists have um, got bogged down with the fact that you have to make the patient aware of every single option, every single risk, every single benefit, and every single fee. And yes, patients do get confused. And again, I've spent a lot of time working with dentists on presenting treatment plans. It is a passion of mine. Um, but you have to make a clear recommendation. You are the professional. You know, if this patient was your mother, your brother, what would you be doing for them? You've got to make that clear, and money has to come aside from that. NHS patients need to know the NHS options and the private options, but they also need that clear recommendation still. That's really important. Yeah, I think you've answered that eloquently my darling okay <laughs> yeah definitely and you know and I just literally would say exactly the same thing that you know just be really confident like you used to be about making that clear recommendation but knowing that there are alternatives to every situation isn't there so you know this is what you know would be the best thing for you these are the other things that you can do and as long as you do it very much and I think also don't make it over overly complicated as well i think again dentists are very very detailed orientated people so they make it complicated in their own minds and and the other thing that i would say that i don't think you've uh, said so far is just create some time i know that in this particular example that these patients are nhs but if that is your practice setter then you and you've got the time here to actually chat to a patient if you need time to prepare yourself for a conversation do exactly that so with the nhs patient take the x-rays or the photographs that you need um, and then say you know i'm going to look at these i'm going to take some time out of my diary um, so that i can look at everything and then i want to bring you back 
so that we can have a, a conversation about the treatment, the, you know, the, the things that you need, uh, my clear recommendations, and what else that you can do if you don't want to go ahead with the recommendations that I would make for you. And again, it might just be that this dentist needs a little bit more time just to think about how to deliver that. And we do work with a lot of dentists that rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse their scripts. Um, in the mirror so they're really confident about delivering the communication behind um, you know a treatment plan delivery you know what we would call an options meeting or a treatment presentation or case presentation quite an American word there but it's really important that actually you know being a good communicator is actually quite it is well not it isn't quite it is a skill um, and you have to learn how to uh, be a good communicator you learn how to be a great dentist so you have to learn how to be a great, great communicator as well. Oi! <laughs> I can see Sorry it. about that. I can <laughs> you in the background. I just going to bark any minute. But what if he does, then once he's going to start. Uh, oh, okay, yes, yeah, so I think Mike made a really good point there about time. Uh, Michael, do you want to read out the next one? Oh. Okay. <laughs> I threw you under the bus there. <laughs> so if associates are contributing to cost for marketing, etc., does this give them the right to an opinion on the direction the clinic is taking? <laughs> That's an excellent question, and I really, really love that question. Okay, so number one, associates need to understand that they need to be working in a practice that they want to be working in. The days of the business owner taking everything on board themselves and paying for all of the marketing, for all of the brand experience, for maybe additional staff members that are needed to support communication and support the brand consistency in the practice, they do need to start making contributions uh, to those aspects. And the importance of those are, is that it's really important that associates start to understand that you want to be part of an amazing practice. You've chosen the practices you're in, hopefully for a, you know, a good reason. So make sure that actually you want to be uh, part of that practice and that you want to make a contribution that ultimately will benefit the whole practice and your diary as well. So that's the most important thing. What I would say is, is that um, can the associates have an opinion? Of course they can have an opinion. We need their opinions. Um, creating a brand experience for a practice is all about knowing that every dentist is going to do exactly the same thing. So you do need the business owner to have sessions with all of the associate dentists to come up with what is going to be the brand experience for our practice. Now, of course, ultimately, if I'm the business owner, um, eventually I will have to make a decision of what I feel is right for the practice based on the opinions that I've heard um, because you might not all agree but you've got to all agree that actually you've had time to put in your two pennies worth into the situation it's been listened to then I need to understand and then need to act as a business owner so when I can do that then I can understand actually um, how all the dentists are going to operate but I am ultimately passionate about making sure that the associates do contribute to marketing campaigns um, I am actually advising that if you want to treat the coordinator in a practice do you know what if there's three associates and the salary is what between 
I don't know, let's say 12 to 20,000 for an example, that three of you splitting that salary to get a treatment coordinator in will be a benefit to all three of you. So just do it. You know, it's not a major thing, but actually for the business owner to incorporate another 12 to 20,000 as a business expense, that's a lot of money, isn't it now? You know, that sort of changes, do I, don't I? If you need an additional team member at the front desk and you know that the phone is going to be answered more consistently and the patients are going to be meted and greeted in a better way and um, actually there's going to be somebody there for you to do a handover experience, for an example, um, instead of waiting in a queue or feeling that you can't do that process, then again, uh, do you know what? I'd be getting my money out my back pocket and going, do you know what? This is an investment that I need because ultimately you will benefit from that investment because you all sell the same product it's the experience behind that product that makes all of the difference so associates you know if you don't want to take on your own practice which believe you me is hard work um, then you know um, actually embrace it and actually start to put some of your own cash in uh, to building a better practice and a better life for you yeah well said Michael yeah, um, yeah. And I, I think, you know, this, this really does stem from, um, you know, we, we absolutely love it when associates have their own passions and they're invested clinically to, to you know, upskill themselves. Um, but when you're launching a new treatment or a new service in a practice, it's actually very hard to get new patients in. It's actually brand awareness, first of all. And that is quite a big investment. And practices businesses want to invest in marketing where they're going to get a return on their investment so if it's brand awareness without a doubt associates do need to, to chip in there uh, to get the ball rolling um, but I think Michael said absolutely loads so I will leave it there and move yeah. on to the next question <laughs> so the next question um, I'm curious to know if anyone here has a uh, if anyone here as a TV streaming BBC news or similar in their waiting rooms and what are your thoughts right well yeah. I can tell you now I absolutely detest <coughs> the news um, being on in patient lounges waiting rooms whatever you want to call them it is the most negative thing you can possibly see the time is displayed as well so it's quite clear if you're not running to time and it just creates the most awful atmosphere and so much negativity in the practice turn it off um, TVs are a constant problem in practices you should be looking at creating an ambience you should have beautiful music playing some nice soul you know just something that just makes it relaxing warming not negativity if you really want to have the TV on, it should be on mute with subtitles. And I'd recommend you look at um, channels that are sort of, you know, like the Animal Channel, or if you're on Freeview, something that I really like is the um, Challenge uh, Channel. So it's game shows all day. You can put that on subtitles. Happy days. That's great. Something for everybody to look at. But ultimately, here, think about your ambience that you're creating in your practice it's so important you know big companies spend huge amounts of money on this don't overlook it right we've got a couple of minutes left have you got another question there michael i have got a good question actually so if staff are being asked to be on standby to cover sickness would they be entitled to some form of payment I think that's a, a really, really interesting question. Yeah. And um, 
not one that I've been asked before, but actually my, my the answer that I want to give initially is <clears throat> actually when I work in TV, you get what's called a holding payment, which means that you're not working today, um, but you're in hold so that they pay you a minimum fee of let's say, like 20 to 35 pounds a day so that you can't go off and do something else. So if they need to bring you in to shoot a, a scene, then you are available. So actually, um, if you've got reliable people that can be um, on standby for you, if you're on standby, let's say on a Monday morning and it's starting at eight o'clock and you may get a phone call at half past six or seven o'clock to be into work to start at eight. Um, actually, I actually think that maybe a standby payment would be the incentive for somebody to actually um, be on a, a standby list for you. Well, so maybe a very small payment of, I don't know, 10 to 20 pounds um, just to go, yes, you're on standby. Maybe, I think no more than that, really. 10 yeah. to 20 pounds well, to be on standby. I think, that's, I think that's appropriate, don't you? Yeah, and I've experienced it personally. So I practiced I used to work at many, many years ago uh, when our dentist was on call. Uh, the nurse was also on call as well. Now, it was a huge thing that was implemented. Uh, the majority of us absolutely hated it. Uh, but it was about providing the dentist with a chaperone. Now, Monday to Thursday, we were paid a set fee of £15. Now, we were all full-time team members as well, so it was a lot easier. We were paid £15. If we were called out in the evening, which was up to 9pm, there was an additional payment. But essentially, we got paid £15. The likelihood of being called out was minimal because the practice was open every day anyway. Uh, never, ever once did I get called out. I don't think anyone did um, on a weeknight. Then from Friday... <coughs> up till 9 p.m. and then Saturday and Sunday we were paid 50 pounds. Now I'm going back about 10, 12 years and that was actually quite a nice lump of money. However, if you did get called out, you didn't get anything extra um, and you just used to really hope that your dentist was slick uh, and didn't want you to come out for the first person that called on a Saturday morning. You'd want them to wait a few hours in case anyone else called so you weren't going backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. But without a doubt, yes, um, I completely agree. If you're going to have team members on standby, then yes, they're paid for that. But what needs to be really clear is that they are able to come in at the drop of a hat. It can't yeah. be, oh, well, I haven't got childcare today, so no, sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, or, you know, sorry, I'm going shopping with my friends now. You know, that type of thing. It has to be, I'm available within 30 minutes notice uh, to come into you on this day. And actually, if I haven't heard from you by midday, then, you know, you need a system in place. If I haven't heard from you by midday, I won't be coming in to allow that person to do something with the rest of their day. But, yeah, even if it's 10, 15, 20 pounds and you've got a big practice, um, it is worth doing without a doubt. So Yeah, definitely. And I definitely think Mondays because a lot of practice managers get disturbed on a Sunday, don't they? Yeah. Um, and, and I'm an absolute no about that. The practice managers should have their Sundays to themselves and not have like a bombshell dropped to them at 4.30 in the afternoon going, I'm not coming into work tomorrow, which quite frankly wrecks your Sunday night. Yeah. Um, so you should have a clear system about people phoning in early at 6.30 or whatever it may be. And then you call your standby people. And if they haven't had a call by, you know, 
between, you know, like seven o'clock and 7.15, they know that they can go back to sleep then and do what they need to do. And they've had the payment for being on standby. So actually, great question uh, and a great way to end. So if they want to send their questions in, Laura, they do it by, ta-da! <laughs> you can send them in for our Facebook page, uh, direct message us, please, so everything remains confidential. Or you can email hh at horton-consulting.com. We will see you again very soon. And do uh, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and other podcast streaming services. Thank you very much. Goodbye.